Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Off Script with Pastor Jared. We are now on episode 10. I hope you've been enjoying these. Uh, We're uh, taking a little bit of a detour from current events to uh, the Misunderstood series with these Off Script episodes. Uh, I promised you I'd give you five additional uh, often misunderstood passages. And so um, we've done Philippians 4.13 uh, the first Sunday. Then we did uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, I forget the verse, but the one about uh, God won't give you more than you can handle. And then this Sunday we did Proverbs, uh, without vision people perish. So if you interested in any of those, definitely go back and listen to those on the podcast Uh, Today, we're moving on to another one, which is another just kind of often quoted phrase. Uh, People just say things sometimes. And uh, this one is that, you know, money is the root of all evil. Money is the root of all evil. A lot of times people will quote that when uh, something comes up where greed is at play or uh, clearly where money creates a problem for somebody and uh, you're looking for sort of like a spiritual answer to make sense of what just happened. And so uh, it just kind of gets quoted. Well, money is the root of all evil, you know. So does the Bible actually say that? Well, no, it doesn't. Now, it, it's close, uh, but <laughs> sometimes the uh, closest only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. You know what I mean? So it's only really uh, important if, if unless there's a little word that kind of changes the whole thing, which in this case, there is. There is a word that changes the whole thing. So before we get right down to the exact uh, answer for this, let's do a little context work like we've been doing in this series. Just a reminder, context is always the key to really getting a good definition of what you're studying in, in anything, but definitely the Bible. So this is going to be found in 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6, Paul again is our author, and he's writing to uh, Timothy, his uh, apostolic protege, who's uh, one of the pastors of uh, Ephesus or where you know all the places that Paul has been working with Timothy, and he's encouraging him in how to be uh, in the role, uh, a pastoral role, and how to train other pastors. And so in this, uh, Paul is uh, having, having Timothy consider that he needs to be careful to differentiate himself from the other false teachers that are out there. So the church, you know, got going out of, out of nothing, and, and it blew up, and all of a sudden there's like this new thing out there, the church. It's not Judaism, it's, it's not pagan, it's this other thing, and all of a sudden, it started growing really fast in a lot of places. And anytime something starts up quickly, uh, you're going to have, we'll call them opportunistic weasels, or perhaps you prefer vultures, um, people that kind of pop in and try to ride coattails, or they try to take advantage opportunistically and uh, cut themselves a little slice of the pie, and uh, not always with people's good intentions at heart. So that was happening everywhere. And so Paul's giving a careful warning to Timothy. So let's look at that warning. He says, and it really begins in 1 Timothy 6, uh, 2. He says, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produces envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction 
among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. All right, so that's through verse five. That's a lot of stuff that was just said. Uh, I'm not going to give you a deep dive on this word by word. What you need to know is that Paul is giving a warning for people who come in to the church and they use the front of godliness. They talk about godliness and they talk about spiritual things and churchy things. Uh, But the motivation behind what they're doing is conceitedness. Um, They really don't understand what they're saying. Uh, They crave controversy. They crave uh, fights. They crave... Um, that what, what they do practically creates dissension in the church um, and constant friction amongst unbelievers. You're just he, there's like a wake of fights and trouble anywhere these kind of folks go. And it says, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now that gain means financial to Paul. He's talking about financial gain. So people that come into the church and have this... Um, they, they they stir up a big stink and they make a big wake and there's a lot of smoke and mirrors, uh, but all of it is just for their own financial gain. Okay, so Paul's saying, be careful about that because that's all that is. Verse six, he says, but godliness, what he just talked about, with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing uh, we cannot take anything out of the world. That, that wasn't Bill Cosby that coined that phrase. That was uh, the Apostle Paul. And so what he's saying is uh, the, these false teachers that are all about money uh, and, you know, the big show and, and all of this, you know, controversy and a, a crowd, they're all about that. And their, their gain is not godliness. Their gain is money. That's what they want, money. But the gain should be contentment. That's what godliness affords us. Uh, He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. So the gain we should get from ministry is a deeper sense of contentment. Uh, For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of the world. So don't be focused constantly on material possessions and gaining and growing this nest egg and and getting more, better, nicer stuff. That's not the goal of ministry. That's what Paul's saying. Verse 8, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. So not not having this obsession beyond our basic needs is what Paul's talking about. So this is that's the whole context. Now he's really getting into the force behind that quote, the um, money is the root of all evil, okay? Verse 9, he says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Okay, so clearly all of that was a wind-up to get to what Paul wanted to say, which was a caution about money obsession. It's a, it's a deep caution, and especially when you mix that with spirituality and ministry and your mission. When those things get together and you can't separate them and your motivation is money, 
you're you're really playing with fire. You're in danger, Paul says. So the the misunderstanding, the misquote happens on two levels. When people say money is the root of all evil, well, you've you've left out a really important word in verse 10. For the love of money, the love of money is the root of not just all evil either. Here's another insertion, all kinds of evil, okay? All kinds of evil. So you're really, you're really changing it in two ways. If you say money is the root of all evil, well, you've left out the love of money and you've left out that it's not all evil, it's all, all kinds of evil. It's not limited to one kind. It could be four kinds. It could be eight kinds. It could be two. That's what it's saying. So hopefully you can, you can kind of sit there and, and think for a second. There's a big difference in saying money is evil versus an unhealthy love of money is evil. Uh, that's, those are really different. So, so to misquote this, is is actually a pretty big deal because you've significantly changed the definition uh, from money to loving money, which is the problem. Okay, so uh, I, I want to give you just the, this Greek word is so important for this. So love of money in Greek is one word. It's, uh, man, I'm going to mess this up. Philargyria. Philargyria. Uh, so that's from taking... The Greek philos, which is, you know, that popular love, uh, Philadelphia, brotherly love, uh, that love, plus argyros, which is really a derivative of the word silver, which kind of becomes just a, a, a general term for money. So the love of silver or the love of money is what that combination is. And so that's what Paul's worried about. Um, these people that come into the church and Really, their motivation is money. It, they're, they're obsessed with it. They think about it all the time. They love it. And it causes them to, it starts with the love of money, but that causes a lot of other problems that spin off of that problem. Okay, that's what he says before. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into many senseless, harmful desires that plunge people into destruction. So it's kind of like, pride, you know, like pride is a, a sin that can cause other sins. It's not necessarily limited to the sin itself. Uh, it, it has a cascading effect. Loving money can cause you to do things to go get money that are bad. So it, it has a, a, a domino effect. So um, what's the message of the Bible on money anyway? Let's take a little aside for that. Well, I think you have to really give a balanced picture here that it's both caution, uh, but but it's not a, a pure, um, it's not so simple as money is evil, but you also need to be cautious because money does have an inherent uh, pull and power to it. So Jesus said to his disciples, I'd be remiss if I did not say this, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, Mark 10, 23, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Well, the message there is simple. you got to be really careful uh, because you can, you can love money so much that it becomes your God. It becomes a, a prohibitive for your heart to love God. 
Uh, you you know your heart's only got so much love it can give, and if you're if you're obsessed with money and possessions, uh, Jesus says it's going to be hard for you to get into the kingdom. Uh, you're you're just going to have you're going to struggle with that. So we always have to, especially as Americans, especially as some of the wealthiest people who have ever lived in in human civilization, we got to take that to heart and be really careful with our uh, our view of money. That everything we do isn't about or motivated by. Uh, finances in some way, because Jesus gave a really strong push to that. So maybe that's what you needed to hear today. Uh, but there, there is a converse that I think is important to say, because uh, the, the root of this uh, quote, that money is the root of all evil, that false quotation, would make one believe that wealth is inherently sinful. But is wealth inherently sinful? Is money by itself, or having it, uh, sinful. Should we all be poor, and then we'll be more spiritual when we're poor? Well, no. The answer is no. Uh, the Bible, hi- historically, if you go through just a survey of people in the Bible, uh, a lot of wonderful, godly people have money in the Bible, and it does. It wasn't a drain on on their spirituality. Did that mean they have more temptations to to deal with? Yes, uh, but it's not necessarily. A bad thing. So, for example, one of the godliest men in the Old Testament is Job. Job was extremely wealthy. He had a lot of things, and that's that's the whole point of the Job story. Was he 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 owned many possessions, and Satan said to God, "Hey, I, I bet you he wouldn't worship you if he didn't have all the goodies that he had and all the things." And so, that's the story of Job: is that those things were taken from him, and Job still worshiped the Lord. And and in the end, what happened? Did God say, well, since you're already poor, you're you're better this way? No, God restored tenfold everything that he lost. And Job ended up with more than he started with. It doesn't mean Job was evil, not at all. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob were wealthy individuals. They owned a lot of land. They owned a lot of livestock. Go read the stories. They had many servants. These guys were not... uh, were not poor. They, they just weren't. They, and they saw it as being blessed by God in their time. Joseph, I mean, Joseph was the number two guy in Egypt. You think Joseph had some resources? Egypt number two? That's a lot of resources at your disposal. We never, Joseph's one of the guys in the Bible that there's not really a negative spin to his story. There's nothing that we can look at Joseph's life and say, oh, there's the sin. Terrible. Moses, grew up in the palace. Now, sure, he went off and lived in the country for a while and then, you know, went through the wilderness, but the first part of his life, he definitely lived in in the wealthier parts of the palace because that's where his basket got picked up. David, a man after God's own heart, was a king. Kings certainly had wealth. You could say the same about Hezekiah, Jehoshaphat, Josiah. Those were all godly kings, and they had a lot of wealth and possessions. You think about the New Testament. Matthew was a tax collector, and certainly he gave up all of those things to follow Jesus, but uh, Matthew would have been a, a wealthy person. We think of Joseph of Arimathea, who donated the tomb for Jesus' burial. Uh, he had it. He gave it away. Nicodemus, if Nicodemus was truly saved by the end of his life, many people do believe that because he paid for uh, an, an incredible amount of burial spices. You can see that in John's gospel. 
uh, for Jesus. Just an, an insane amount of burial spices that would have been uh, extremely uh, a lot of money to be able to do, and Nicodemus did that for Jesus. The early church believers, if you look at the book of Acts, uh, says uh, Acts 4.33 says, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So you got this picture in the book of Acts of a lot of the early church getting together and selling a lot of their goods. So they had a lot of stuff. They had properties, and they had lands, and they had you know different possessions, and they sold them and gave them away. Well, they gave them away and sold them because they first had them. So there were a lot of initially wealthy people in the church who, who wanted to uh, help the poor amongst the early church. The Ethiopian eunuch, think about that, who came to uh, Christ by on the chariot when Philip jumped up there and read Isaiah 53 to him. If you're an Ethiopian eunuch in the court of Candace, uh, you've, you're, you're a wealthy individual, and he was. Lydia in Acts 16, known as the one who sold the purple dye, uh, had the early church in Philippi meet in her home, probably supported Paul financially on the road. Uh, she was certainly uh, a wealthy entrepreneur. Cornelius in Acts 10, uh, the one who, uh, the leader of the Italian cohort, uh, he was like a centurion figure, certainly had a lot of money, had a house with a lot of servants who heard the gospel. So I just, I want to say this, it's you have to think of both sides of this. Uh, some incredible, incredible kingdom activities have been done because of the generosity of wealthy people. Not everyone who is wealthy is wealthy because they're greedy, okay? Uh, that's important to say today, especially in this era we're living in where there's like a, a communist socialist revolution that we're uh, sort of living through, where there's a revival in interest in Karl Marx and a lot of those old theories. Um, capitalism and, and all of those things are sort of under attack right now. And part of that attack is to say that wealthy people are always wealthy because of ill-gotten gains. They're always wealthy because they did something. They must have done something wrong to gain this much money or to have this much stuff. Uh, and, and listen, that's just wrong. That's just someone who's naive and doesn't know anything about the world. You can be wealthy because you're just hardworking. That's very possible. Uh, you can be wealthy because you're wise. You're, you're smart with your money. You could be wealthy because you're extremely creative you might just be smart. You might just be able to see a step or two ahead of the average person. Um, wouldn't, wouldn't just following the Proverbs make one more likely to be wealthy? I mean, just think about that. That's all Dave Ramsey even does, is he just repackages the Proverbs uh, in, into a uh, finance lesson. If you just lived by the Proverbs with your money, uh, right there, you're gonna do. Th you're going to be ahead of the average Joe that doesn't know how to manage their money, and that doesn't mean you're wrong. That just means you're trying to follow what the Bible says. You know, maybe you invented something. You ever thought about some? What What if somebody just invented something that was extremely beneficial to humanity, or someone wrote a wonderful book or song, and it was just awesome, and they 
just money was coming to them because of this wonderful thing they produced. Maybe you're just a great investor. You're a, a, a whiz at the stock market, and it's not anything evil. You're just really good. Maybe you've been a beneficiary of generosity yourself. You know, maybe someone just gave you a lot of money. Maybe your uncle or your grandma or somebody passed away and they just left you a bunch of money. Well, you didn't do anything wrong for that. Uh, a, a lot of great philanthropists have been that way. They've been entrusted with funds and they've given it away. So money is like a gun. It's like a hammer. It's like a fire. It can be used for good or evil. You can, you can do good with a gun. You can save someone's life or you can take someone's life. With a hammer, you can build something or you can break something. With a fire, you can uh, warm yourself, cook food, or you can burn the house down. It, 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 can, it's, it it's, could be used either way depending upon the heart and the hand that uses it. So that's the truth about money. Money is a neutral tool. It is a neutral tool. It can be used for evil. It can be used for good. But it is not true. Christians, we got to stop saying this. It is not true that money is the root of all evil. That is false. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Focusing, obsessing, uh, tricking, greed, pulling on money strings to try to try to manipulate the world. Yeah, that's sinful. Wanting it so bad that you're willing to do something. I mean, that's coveting, isn't it? When that when it becomes that, yes, that is sinful and having a deep love for money is not a Christian principle, but having money in itself is not sinful because it allows for radical generosity. It allows for giving away and helping other people and and God sometimes just blesses people. And it, you don't have to be a bad person to have money. If God's going to bless you, he's going to bless you. And so that's that's not anything wrong with someone who has wealth. It's all about what you do with it. It's all about your heart behind it, how you use it, uh, what you do with what God gives you. I mean, Psalm 67 says, God, be gracious to us, bless us, make your face shine upon us so that your way may be known on the earth. So God, give to us so that we can give to others. Uh, that's, that's a biblical message, and that's not prosperity gospel. That's, that's biblical uh, generosity. So hopefully that helps you today. Uh, the money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Hope that was a blessing to you, and you'll uh, get sharper and sharper and be able to stop somebody in their tracks the next time you hear it. Have a wonderful week. Uh, go to a gospel-preaching, Bible-believing church, and if you're in the Memphis area, Kirby Woods Baptist Church is that church. Come see me. God bless. Mm-hmm.